Father, we worship you this morning, God. Lord, we want to grow deeper in love with you today, God. Lord, we want, we want to receive more of who you are in our lives, God. We want, to, we want to grow deeper, but Lord, we understand that to get new wine requires new wineskins. So God, would you change us today? Would you change us more into your image, God, that we would be able to receive more of your love? Lord, we surrender our lives to you, Jesus, that you would fill us up. Fill us with your love today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm glad to see all of you here today. My name is Greg Vicaro. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the middle of a series called Stretched Thin. How many of you feel a little stretched thin? Or maybe you feel a little wound up this morning. I don't know which one, but um, sometimes when we're stretched thin, then we, it's easier to get us all wound up, right? But if I were to ask some of you, hey, how's your week been going? I might hear, oh man, it was crazy busy. I had this going on and that going on, or my kids were sick, or coworker was sick, and then I had to cover for them, and how life is crazy and life is busy. And that's why we're, we're talking about being stretched thin, because a lot of us live there throughout our lives. We, we feel like there's just not enough of us to go around. So um, Steve talked the other week about stretched thin and, and how we can find margin in our calendars. And I want to let you know that one day, the week before last, I found margin in my calendar. It was amazing. Yeah, one day. I know. But so for that particular day, I don't know. I guess I was thinking about margin, but I was more realistic about how much time it was going to take me to do, do some things. So I had some travel in my day. And instead of planning that you know, it would only take me a half an hour, I gave myself 45 minutes. So you know what happened? I arrived early. Like, I'm never early for anything, and this was great. I had margin. So it was one day. I'm going to try to have another day like that, but I think we can all grow in margin. And Ed talked last week about financial margin, so if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to it. It was a challenging message, and he he made a statement. He said, we don't have an income problem. We have a lifestyle problem. So if you're like me, you might resemble that remark a little bit, and uh, it was challenging, but, you know, what can we do to change and to, to gain margin in our lives. So we, we talked about margin, and we said this, that margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. And to the extent that you have more than what you need, like think about if you've got $100 and the bill comes in and it's $90, you've got positive margin of $10. And you know what? Your life is good. You're not feeling stressed. You've, you've got margin. But if you've got $100 and the bill comes in and it's 149 now you're feeling stressed, like, you're like where is that extra $49 going to come from? So, so we recognize that the margin is good for us. So this morning, I'm going to ask us all a question as a way to get started, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I just want you to think about this question for a minute, but have you ever struggled with a sin that seems to kick your butt? Yeah, so you don't, you don't need to answer. I'll ask for a raise of hands later, but as a way to get us thinking, let me give you some examples. Maybe you've tried to get a hold of your anger, right? But there's certain things that happen. Man, they just press your button. Maybe it's your kids, it's your coworkers, it's your spouse, whatever. Your buttons get pressed and bam, you blow up. Maybe it's your tongue. And you know what? As, as much as you try to, to speak love and to encourage people, man, just it's that certain way someone speaks to you, man, you just start to slice and dice people up or, or you can go and, and start to lie or exaggerate and you got real issues with your tongue. Maybe it's McDonald's. 
And you might go, McDonald's? How can that be a sin? No, McDonald's is not a sin. But if you're committing to eat more healthy, maybe you just can't deal with the temptation of passing your favorite fast food restaurant without turning in. you got a Big Mac attack. And it's not what you're intending to do. Or maybe you struggle with pornography. You don't want to look at it, but there's those times late at night or, or whenever it might be, you're alone. And man, you just fall into that trap over and over. Why do I do that? I don't want to do that. Maybe you had a surgery, and they gave you painkillers, and you had some painkillers left over, and you found yourself turning to those painkillers for, for a little buzz, and you know it's not the right thing. You know where it can lead you. You're like, oh, I'm just, I just need one, one more of those painkillers. Or maybe you're caught up in jealousy and envy, right? And, and maybe you find you're online, and you're looking at everybody else's life on Instagram and Facebook, and they live such great lives. Why can't I live a life like that? Why can't I go to exotic places on vacation? Why, why aren't I like them? And you're envious, and you're jealous. So I don't know what your sin might look like. I could invite you up. If anyone would like to come up and share the sin that, that you just keep falling into, like we could testify this morning. That would be wonderful. But I'm not going to volunteer. I don't know about you. That's, that's not what I want to do this morning. But if I asked you, okay, have you ever struggled with a sin that kicks your butt? How many of you would say, yes, I'm there, right? And, and if you're not raising your hand, I might call you a liar this morning. I'm not saying you're a liar. I might call you a liar because I think we all have those things in our lives where we're like, yeah, there's, there's things that I want to get better at, but I just can't. And we're stretched thin. So, so this morning, I'm going to talk about a different kind of margin, and it's moral margin. And it's putting distance between you and temptation. Right? So, so when we think about what moral margin could be, imagine if you had positive margin in this area, right? Temptation would come knocking at the door and ringing the doorbell, and you wouldn't answer. Because why? You've got margin. But, but when we feel like we're stretched too thin and temptation comes and knocks and, and rings the doorbell, man, we're, we're right there. We answer it and we fall over and over and over again. So what would it look like for us to have moral margin? I, I know we all want this because here's some things I've never heard people say. You know what? When I grow up, I, wanna, I want drinking to overtake my life to the point where it ruins my marriage and it destroys my relationship with my kids. Does, every, does anybody have a dream like that when they're young? No. Or, or maybe... You know what? I'm going to set a five-year goal that in the next five years, I want to have an affair and ruin my marriage. No one would make a goal like that for the next five years. Or how about this one? This year is going to be different. I want to gain 30 pounds. I want to eat as unhealthy as I possibly can. Like maybe we could achieve that goal, but that's not a goal. And yes, Joe over there says he's got it. He can conquer that one. But none of us would want to set a goal like that. Why? Because we know that's not, that's not the right goal for us. But some of us, and maybe more than we want to admit, have woken up one day and said, how did I end up here? Like, I never thought where I'm at, this would happen to me. So if that's you this morning, or, or, or maybe you're heading down that road, I don't want that for any of us this morning. So what does it look like to have moral margin? And, and we find that, that uh, in, the, in the Bible, it talks about temptation. And we're going to turn to James 1. And start off there. James 1, 13 through 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's bow our heads and pray. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is living, it's active. Lord, it speaks to us. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, we need to be changed by your word. Lord, for us to receive new wine, Lord, there's got to be a new wineskin. So God, we surrender who we are to you today, that, that you would allow us to grow in you. You would allow us to become new, to receive more of your spirit. So Father, we open up our hearts, we open up our ears to, to your spirit this morning. And we pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 11 says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, right? Because God doesn't tempt us. That's not who he is. He may test us, but God never tempts us, right? So we, we know that. But is temptation a sin? No, temptation is not a sin. We, we can see in verse 15, it says this, then after desire has conceived. So once the temptation comes, it's conceived. And if, if it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So how does this whole pattern of temptation and sin work then? And 14 kind of explains it to us, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So this word enticed is an interesting word when you look at it in the Greek. It's deliezo, and it means to entrap, allure, to entice, to hook. And it's really a fishing term, this word enticement, right? So imagine, what does a fisherman do when he's going to go fishing? He takes what? He takes a hook, and what does he put on the hook? He puts some kind of a bait, right? Maybe it's a worm, maybe it's something else. We don't need to get into the fly fishing and all that, but just go with me for a minute, right? He, he puts something on the hook, and now fishermen are pretty smart people. If you talk to fishermen, a lot of them are up before the crack of dawn and out on the water before dawn. Why? Why do they do that? Like, I'd rather, can I just go sleep in and maybe get out there about 11? Like, that would work for my lifestyle, only problem is this, the fish are biting at dawn. So fishermen know when fish are biting. Fishermen know where to go because they know in a certain conditions with the ledge and the seaweed and the this, that's where the fish are going to be because the fish are predictable. And then they know exactly what the fish want to eat, so they put that kind of bait on the hook. So it's the time, it's the bait, it's the place. Fishermen know how to catch fish. Maybe that's why I've never caught any fish, right? I want to go to 11. They're never biting at 11. But the enemy is just like that. The enemy knows for your particular area that you deal with, what's the right time that he needs? Maybe it's the beginning of the week. Maybe it's the end of the week. Maybe it's Sunday night. Maybe it's Saturday night, Friday night. I don't know. But he knows, he knows exactly what kind of bait to use. And he comes to you, and, and you're so predictable. You're like that fish right? You're you're swimming right there. Oh, I'm not going to get hooked this time. I'll just try to get the worm and leave the hook behind. And bam, you're hooked and you fall all over again, right? So, So some point in time, we are all enticed. We're all hooked. We're entrapped. That's the enemy's plan for us. But, but if the enemy knows your weakness today, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ knows your weakness as well. And he gives you the strength to overcome that weakness, so if a picture's worth a thousand words, I, I want to get this concept across, and I'm going to give us all a picture. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at a road, and we're looking at a guardrail. Not like a guardrail that I've ever seen before, but, but this was the one picture I could find. It's actually a guardrail in South Korea. So got pretty cool guardrails. I love the idea, but it's not about those yellow barrels there. It's about the road and the fact that the road is curving. So if you're going to be driving down the road, where do you typically drive? 
I think you want to drive in the lane, right? You, that's the best place to be is driving down the lane. How many of you make a habit of driving down the road in the lane? Yeah, that's a good place to be, right? Now, does anybody ever veer off onto the shoulder? Yeah, sometimes we do. All right, when you veer off into the shoulder, how long do you stay in the shoulder? Like, do you make a habit of trying to drive half across the white line? No, you might veer over because you got distracted, you're changing a you know, radio station, and then what do you do? You turn right back onto the road, don't you? We're smart enough to know that. So let's look at the shoulder as temptation. It's always there. It's just, it's just a little bit away from where we are. But temptation isn't something that we're meant to stay in. Temptation, like... Sometimes when you cross the road, I, I love some of the roads, what they're doing now is they make these rumble strips, right? So if you get a little sleepy on the road and, and you veer a little bit, blah, 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 you get the rumble and you start to shake, oh, I'm awake now, and what do you do? You get right back onto the lane. You don't stay on the shoulder. But you see, some of us, when, when the enemy comes in, we feel like, oh, how close can I get to that guardrail? Why don't I just see how close I can drive to the guardrail? Anybody like that? If you drive like that, I do not want to ride from you, all right? I never want to get in the car with you if you see how close you can get to the guardrail, and that's where you stay. That would be ludicrous, right? But especially this, the road is not straight. The road has curves. If you stay there, you know what? You're going to find you're going to go beyond the guardrail. You're going to go into sin. So the, the shoulder is not sin. The shoulder's temptation. But if you stay on the shoulder and the road's turning and it's curving, you're going to go right off the road. You're going to be in the woods. And that's not where God has intended any of us to be. So God gives us a plan, and he gives us instruction about how to stay on the road and what to do when temptation comes. Because if you've ever driven, you know that you don't perfectly stay in your lane, right? None of us stay in our lane 100% of the time. At least 1%, we have those, oh yeah, I veered a little bit, now I'm going to get right back on the lane. The problem is when we don't get back on and we're staying in that temptation, then what do we do? So this is what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. It says, if you think you're standing, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. You know, here's the cool thing about it. When you're in the lane, that's the time to be strong, right? When you're driving down the, the road and you're in your lane, that's when you've got to be aware that, hey, man, there's a shoulder, and that shoulder is called temptation, and I don't want to go in there. Like, that's not for me. It's not the time for when you're in the shoulder to realize it. You want to realize it when you're in the lane. But recognize that, okay, there's a shoulder for all of us in life. There's a temptation that we all face, and God promises this, that he is faithful. I, I want us all to hear that for, more, for a minute. God is faithful in, in all the situations that we face. He's faithful and he says he's not going to allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. Now, the enemy would tell you, oh, you're dog meat. Like, you got to give in. This is what you always give in to. You know you like it. You know you enjoy it. So just give in one more time. And, 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 and we all convince ourselves, like, we can't, we can't withstand this. So we just give in to whatever it is that we give in to. And God is saying, no, that's not the truth. Here's the truth. I will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And even better, when you're tempted, 
He'll show you a way out so you can endure, right? There's a rumble strip for all of us in life, right? The Holy Spirit is our rumble strip that you're going to go through, and you'll know when temptation is coming. Oh, I got to move over. But we're not listening to the rumble strip. We've become, we've become immune to the rumble strip in some situations, right? So, so what is that? How, how do we gain moral margin? So this morning, I want to spend some time and go through seven different ways that if we can take even one of these, we will find moral margin in our lives. And when we find margin and we have moral margin that's positive, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a better quality of life. You're not going to be so stressed. You're going to find, yeah, temptation comes and boom, I'm right back on the road. It's when we're stretched thin in this area that over and over and over again, we seem to fall into, into these pitfalls and we don't want to fall into them. So what's the first way that we can gain moral margin? The first way is to, to name it, right? So if, if I would look even to the 12-step program for addicts, right? What's, the, what's step one of what the 12-step program? It says this, admit you have a problem, right? And, and addiction has taken over my life And as hard as I try, I can't manage it. I can't control it. Admit it. It's okay to admit it. It's okay, in fact, to say, you know what? Not only do I recognize I have a problem, I really like sometimes where I fall. I I go to this sin because this sin brings me pleasure, and then it brings me shame. I I don't know why I do it, but but I do it. And and I'd love to explore more about why do I fall into this? this? What's deeper? What's below the surface that I keep falling for this same thing? Like maybe there's there's something I need to discover and uncover. But this is how we find freedom. First step is this. It's to name it, to, to name what our personal weakness is. And I love this story that I find in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 10, it's, there's a blind, name, name, blind man named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, he hears that Jesus is coming by, so he starts to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone's like, shh, be quiet, Bartimaeus. We're trying to listen to the master. And, and the more that people are telling him to be quiet, he's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus comes over to Bartimaeus, and, and Bartimaeus is crying out, and Jesus is there. And then this is what Jesus says to him. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. This is what Jesus says to him. Rabbi, or Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, Jesus, Bartimaeus is blind. Can't you see that he's blind? Like, what do you think he wants you to do for him? But Jesus still asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Why? Because there's a step of faith that we take when we present our need to the Lord. It's like when when we come to God and say, God, I've got a problem in this area. Lord, I need help. That's like Jesus going to Bartimaeus, even though he recognizes he's blind. Jesus knows what our issues are, but he's waiting for us to come to him and say, Jesus, I want to see. Jesus, I want to be set free. Jesus, I want this or I want that. Like, he wants us to put a name to it and be honest. You know, and the thing is this. We all have different temptations, right? We know that. What, what you're tempted with is not the same. Like, you could put cookies in front of me, and maybe they don't really tempt me. But you put a bag of sour cream and onion potato chips in front of me, and I want to eat the whole bag. Why? Because that's my deal. I love sour cream and onion potato chips. Cookies, yeah, they're all right. Now, if they're homemade cookies for my wife, then maybe you got an equal to sour cream potato chips. But, but there's certain things that we're tempted by. And you know what it is, and I know what it is. But it's all individual. So what is it? I need to name it. I need to give it. I need to, to call it out by name. And I need to say to God, 
this is, this is what I need help in. Once I've named it, I can invite God in through prayer. You know, the amazing thing about Christians is we believe in God, we sing to God, we worship God, and we forget to pray to God sometimes, don't we? We, we know the situations that we face, but we're like, oh, yeah, I guess I could have prayed about that. I could have, I could have asked God for help in that. We're, we just become so used to these things, they become common and ordinary, and we forgot to pray. It's like, hello, McFly, maybe I should pray about this. Yeah, that's a good idea. So have you ever heard the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, you know the Lord's Prayer? It comes from the Bible. It's in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Why don't we say it together? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all have grown up. We all know this prayer. This is a model prayer. It's not meant that we would pray these specific words, although it's okay to pray these specific words. But God intended, Jesus intended, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, saying, hey, model your prayers after this. Start by worshiping me. Start by saying, Father, I I worship you. God, I hallow your name. And then, and then go through each line and use that as an example. And then we get to this line in yellow, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of us forget to pray that way? Right? We, we know that there's temptation. We, we know that temptation comes. It's the shoulder next to the lane that we're all driving in. But we forget to say, hey, God, would you help me today in the areas of my temptation, Lord? Let me stay in my lane. God, let, let me do what you've called me to do. Oswald Chambers says this about prayer. Prayer is an effort of will. And and I think many of us, we've just forgotten to actually apply our will to this area of prayer and to pray and to be intentional about it and to say, God, I want to invite you into the situation that I'm dealing with now. God, help me put distance between me and this temptation. Give me margin in this area of my life. So invite God in through prayers, number two. Number three, use the word of God. Jesus used the word of God when he went into the desert and was tempted, right? Forty days and 40 nights, he, he, was, he was without food, without water, and then the enemy comes to him and starts to tempt him. First with, with uh, you know, turn these, these stones into bread and, and on and on. And each time Jesus says this, it is written, right? So Jesus knew the word of God. It, there wasn't the New Testament written at that point in time because it, there was just the Old Testament, right? But Jesus is going back to the Old Testament verses, and each time he's remembering one of them. How can you remember something if, you don't, if you've never learned it, right? You can't. But Jesus was knowing the Word of God, and he was applying the Word of God. We've got to use the Word of God, but sometimes we find ourselves in situations, I don't know what the Word says. What do you do then? Well, you could go and search out what the Word says, or we'll make it easy for you. Go to shallowcommunity.church, your Word says. Right, Josh preached a message on this. He gave, us, he gave us a handout, and it's also a link. So in areas where fear is overtaking you, or worry, or you need peace, or you need wisdom, Josh gave us all scriptures in those different areas that you could go find the scripture and actually pray and use that word of God, just like Jesus did. Right? That's the power that we can use in the word of God. Sometimes before service... We, well, not sometimes, all the time we pray before service, but sometimes some women come and pray with us. And you know what they do when they come? They bring index cards. 
And on the index cards are different scriptures that they've been praying through, and they use these scriptures as a way to remind themselves, hey, I'm going to pray for this. And, and, and it's just it's such a powerful way. The Word of God can be a weapon. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, there's strongholds in my life. There's strongholds in your life. How do I pull them down? It's not by trying harder. It's not by like, okay, let me get another person. We're both going to pull on the stronghold. No, I take the word of God. That's the weapon. I take the word of God. I pray the word of God. And as I do that, that's divine power to demolish the strongholds. See, we're, we're talking about finding freedom of the things that, that we're all dealing with and we all have these different things in our lives. Apply the word of God to it. Use the word of God. It's a strong weapon. So maybe what's the situation that you're facing? What is it that I'm facing? Maybe you could... Find the scripture that applies to that situation. Write it out on an index card. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your dashboard. Put it next to your computer, right? What is that thing that that you've got to go to God with and find the scripture and say, God, I'm going to pray into your word. I'm going to use it as a weapon, and I'm going to use it to demolish this stronghold in my life. That would be amazing if, if we would do that. Number four is to flee temptation and pursue God. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. How many of you know you can't just eat one Lay's potato chip? Why? Because that's what we've heard on the commercial, right? I bet you just can't eat one. And the minute you hear that, what do you want to do? You want to eat, you want to eat more than one. Right? The bag gets in front of you, you want to finish the bag. Now, maybe I would buy the personal size bags, but for me, chips are my downfall. Man, I can take the whole bag, the family size bag of chips, give me one football game, that bag is gone. Right? I just get started and I can't stop. But it says flee temptation. Right? In, in a New Living, it says to run. And, and this morning, I was talking to a couple that was here first service, and they had just visited uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody ever been to Charleston? Right? Charleston is the home of Forrest Gump. That's where they shot the movie, right? If you remember Forrest Gump, what is, what's the word that they sell, say to Forrest? Run, Forrest, run. Right? So, so we should flee evil desires. We should run from them. Some of us think, oh, I'm going to show you how strong I am. I'm going to fight this evil desire. I'm going to stay in the shoulder. God never intended for you to stay in the shoulder of temptation. He's like, stay in your lane. When you move over, get right back. Don't, don't try to stay there. Flee. Flee from the evil desire. Run from it. So I, I had an idea on how we can all run from temptation. This is something I read in a book a number of years ago, and I've tried it, and it works. But it's going to sound a little weird to you, so like, just bear with me, all right? So the idea is this. When temptation comes to you and you recognize it, say a quick prayer to God, God, help me in this temptation, and then immediately start to pray for your pastor. Now, you might like, oh, okay, right, that kind of seems self-serving for you to say that. Well, when I learned it, I wasn't the pastor. Ed was the pastor, so I pray for Ed, okay? But I need the prayers more than that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but here's the concept. 
When the temptation comes, you say a prayer, God, help me in this temptation, and then immediately start to pursue something different, something opposite of where you are. Because if you're sitting there saying, I'm not going to eat another chip, I'm not going to eat another chip, I'm not going to eat another chip, guess what's going to happen? You're going to eat another chip. But if you start to pray for something totally different, something that's righteous, I'm praying for my pastor. How, uh, that can't be wrong, right, to pray for my pastor. One, my pastor needs prayer. And two, the enemy doesn't want you praying for your pastor, so he'll leave you alone. Now, just try it, because I'm telling you, I've tried this, and it, and it works, all right? So I'll give you that, that uh, thought, and thank you in advance for your prayers, all right? All right, number five, ask others to hold you accountable. When we read the Word of God, the Word of God never tells us that I need to confess my sins to you, and you're going to forgive me of my sins. Who does it say to confess our sins to? We'll read this in a minute. It says to confess them to God, but it does talk about accountability, and accountability as a strength for us. And this is what we find in James 5. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Right, so, you know, we all know the Internet is a very powerful tool, right? There's been many times where I... You know, just the other day, I was, I was uh, painting some stuff that had miter joints, right? And David, David is making something for my wife for Christmas. And uh, it's one of those library boxes, if you've ever seen it, like a free library. So he borrowed some tools, got it all cut out, and he's leaving it for me to paint. But as I'm getting ready to paint it, I'm noticing that his miter joints, they're not like as good as I'd want them to be, that I'm going to see a crack once I paint them. So I decide to go online, and I'm like, how do I fix a miter joint before I paint? Like, I just Google search that, and boom, this YouTube video comes up and, like, tells me how to put glue in the joint and how to sand it, and the sawdust kind of fills in the joint, and then when it's all dry, you sand it again. You know what? I got great-looking miter joints. Why? Because I use the Internet. It's an incredible tool. You can find out how to do anything on the Internet. But as incredible as the Internet is, you also know that you're just one click away from a lot of really dangerous temptation, right? A lot of stuff that, that you know, the envy, the jealousy, looking at what other people post, the pornography, the, the violence, the, the whatever it is, it's, it's out there, and it can trap you. Maybe it's just that game that just sucks you in, and man, you're playing this word game, and it's not a sin, but the how much time you're spending on it, yeah, it's kind of, it's over the top. You know it's over the top. So what do we do in areas like that? How, what, how could accountability work for us? Right, here's what I do. 99% of the time, I am not tempted to go look at the wrong stuff. But that 1% of the time, if I'm honest, yeah, there's a temptation there. So you know how I've created margin in my own life? I've subscribed to this thing called Covenant Eyes that actually it grades, every time I go to a site, it grades what that site is and sends a report to my, account, to my accountability partner, which is Ed. So I know for that 1% of the time where I'm tempted, I'm not going to let Ed see a report that tells him that I went to some site and I got no temptation anymore. That's margin for my life. If you're raising kids today, you, you need a, an internet filter. You need some kind of thing to protect your kids from, from the negative stuff that's out there and learn, teach them how to choose wisely. But even as adults, we can increase and, and learn how to choose wisely as well. We all get sucked in and trapped in stuff that we don't need to be looking at. So what are you going to do about it? How could accountability help you? Right Here's here's what accountability looks like. 
you pray and say, God, would you show me another mature believer that I could ask to be my accountability partner? I have done this, and it, and it works amazing. And I've asked God, show me, show me this, show me who I should ask. And then after I pray and I get a name, I go to that person and say, hey, you know what? This is something I'm thinking about. Would you ever consider, like, uh, being in accountability? And you know what? Each time I've st- stepped out in, in previous years and asked someone, like, they've always, they've always given me a great response. But even if they don't, then, then go to the next person, right? And, and pray and ask God, give you another name. But then when you agree that you're going to be in accountability, talk about what accountability looks like. See, I, I can't hold you accountable in something if you haven't asked me to hold you accountable. It's not okay for me to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to pick on your sin and not pick on my own sin. Right? But, but when I give you permission and say, I'm giving you permission to ask me the tough questions, and I'm asking you once a week, would you ask me these things? And I promise this, I won't lie. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. And then what are we going to do? We're going to pray for one another, as James is saying. We're going to encourage one another in the Word. We're not going to shame each other because we're in this together, but we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to pray, and we're going to demolish strongholds with the Word of God. That's powerful when you can invite another person into your life like that. That's what it means to, to find someone to hold, to hold you accountable. That's an area how we could gain margin in our lives. This next one is great because by now you may be feeling a little beat up. I'm feeling a little beat up, right? We all get discouraged sometimes, don't we, in, in this fight of, okay, I know there's these things I don't want to do, but yet I still do them. And this is what Paul has to say. Paul was not like your average believer, this guy wrote more than 25% of the New Testament. So he's like, he's an incredible believer. You'd say, wow, if there's all of us, then there's Paul. He's a notch above us, right? All right, let's listen in to some of the prayers Paul was praying and, and what he penned in, in Romans 7. I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, if Paul could feel this way, we're in good company. That, that we have times where we get discouraged, right? Now, I, I used a, a food example before about sin. I'm not saying food is sin. But just imagine for a minute that I'm on a diet. And I go 30 days, and I am sticking to this diet. I'm doing everything right. I'm eating all the right foods, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, I have a breakdown, and I eat a cookie. And I'm so ashamed. I ate a cookie. But what I say at that point, forget it. I'm not eating the diet. I'm just going to eat the whole bag of cookies. If I had one, why don't I just eat the whole bag? Now I'm giving up the diet. Right? We'd be, no, celebrate the fact that you, for 30 days you've been eating right, and just because you ate one cookie, don't give up now. Like, keep pressing forward. We, we know that. But some of us were like, one cookie, forget it. I'm eating the whole bag. I'm just going to go back to my sin. That's not where God would have us be. God would not have us be discouraged. We, we give up too easily, and God's like, no, I'm there for you. Just turn to me in the middle. Invite me in in these situations, and I will be your strength. You don't have to give up. Paul felt like he was going to give up. But, but then he said, thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He turned to Christ right in the middle of his despair and his discouragement, and he found strength in God. You know, here's what the enemy wants to tell you when you mess up. The enemy wants to tell you this. God doesn't want to talk to you right now. You don't want to go back to God. Like, he's mad at you. 
You can't go to God right now. Like, you just put some time, give it some distance, and, and then God will talk to you in a couple of days, or maybe the longer the better, right? That's what the enemy is going to try to tell you. But the truth is this. God wants us to, as soon as we mess up, he wants us to get up. He, he wants us to go right back to him and to make it right and, and to find that forgiveness in him. And that brings us to our last point, which is confess and repent. 1 John 1 8 and 9 says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? And to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. So when I mess up, which of course I mess up all the time, you do as well. But now we're not just talking about the simple mess-ups. We're talking about the one where we keep going back to it over and over and over again. We want to find freedom of whatever that thing is, right? So if we claim we don't have one of them, we claim we don't have sin, yeah, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. But it says this, to confess our sin to him. So I come to God and say, God, I'm going to name it. This is my issue. I need help in this issue. Right, but it's not just enough to confess it. The Bible talks about repentance, which is turning around and walking in the other direction. Right now, a lot of us, this is where we fall short. We confess our sin to God, and then we keep walking in the same area. We, we don't turn around and start to pursue God. And I love what, what um, John the Baptist says to the Pharisees when they're coming to watch him baptize people. He says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Right, so repentance has fruit. Bear the fruit of repentance is what it says in another translation. So when we go to God and we confess our sin, if we're actually turning the opposite direction and following God, there should be fruit that comes from that. You should be living differently. And I would say this, if you're not finding that you're living differently, I would go back and question, did you ever really repent? Maybe you confess, but you never did that repent part where you say, God, give me the strength to turn and walk in a different direction. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? So as we close, where are you driving? Are you driving on the road? Are you spending more time on the shoulder than the road? Or are you well past the shoulder and you're like in the woods? Right? I don't know where you live. I don't know where you drive your life. But I know, given, given where we are in this congregation and how many people, we got people in all three areas, right? Some of us, maybe we try to stay more on the lane and, and we keep going in the shoulder. Some of us are, are camped out in the shoulder. God doesn't want us camped out there. Or maybe you're in the woods, right? The enemy knows your weakness, but God knows your weakness as well. And God is there for you in, in those times of weakness. God wants to go deeper than just why, you know, what's the... What's the the issue that you're dealing with? He wants to go, what's the cause of the issue? God wants to get down there. But you first have to be honest. Where are you driving? Next is, can you name where you need more margin? Right? So, So would you be like Bartimaeus? And Jesus says, what do you want? Oh, you know, my tooth kind of hurts today. Jesus, no, call it out. I'm blind. I need help. Don't go to him with your toothache when you're blind. Go to him with, with what you really need help in. But be honest with them and say, God, would you help me in this area? What would it look like if we could create rumble strips between us and temptation? 
right? Covenant eyes is a rumble strip for me. It's like, I know it's there. And I'm, bam, I'm right back on the road. I'm not going to go to that area of temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when the doorbell rings and you open up the door and you say, yeah, come on in. Let's have a party. Yeah, that's not where God wants us to be. But what would a rumble strip look like between you and temptation? I don't know your temptation, but I know you have one. I know each of you have one, and it's all different because it comes from inside. But God wants to meet us in those places, and he wants to give us margin. What would it look like to create a rumble strip? And lastly, would you invite God into what you're dealing with? Right? If, if you want to make lasting change, if you want to get closer to God, you want to experience more of his love, it becomes us surrendering to him. And, and that's, that's God saying, yes, all right, now that you've surrendered, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to fill you with what, what you need. And I'm going to give you the power to walk. So would you invite God into what you're dealing with? Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for for this message, God, I thank you for the challenge it's been to me. Lord, I know it's challenging to many of us, God. Lord, you know the areas that we deal with, Father, the, the areas that we struggle in. God, I know that you desire that we would have margin in these areas, God. You, you've not intended, Lord, that, that any temptation is more than we can bear. Lord, you provided a way out of all of them. But God, we're, we're missing that way out. So, Lord, we come to you this morning and we confess to you, Father. We desire to turn from our, our ways, Lord, and follow more harder after you. But, God, we need your strength. We don't have the strength in ourselves. So, Jesus, we ask you today, we invite you in, Holy Spirit, to these areas of our lives. Father, give us, give us the strength we need to, to go a different path, Lord. Give us the strength we need to stay on the road. Lord, I thank you for, for how you're working in each of our lives. God, we want more of you, but Lord, we need the new wineskin this morning. Change us, God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come forward for prayer. But if not, have a great day. God bless you.